You're listening to Simpler One Earth Living from Jubilee One Earth Economics and Simple Living Works with co-hosts Lee Van Ham and Jerry Iverson. Is competition more important than cooperation in evolving a better world? Or is it the other way around? Does cooperation lead the way with competition playing a secondary role? We often hear that life is about the survival of the fittest, but maybe that's too narrow. Perhaps life survives and thrives best through the most cooperation. Stay with us because we are talking today about the extraordinary results when we shift from competing to cooperating, from defining ourselves by differences to recognizing our interconnection. Greetings, Lee, from Paso Robles, California, and Simple Living Works. Greetings to you, Jared, from San Diego and Jubilee One Earth Economics. Um, well, today's topic uh, is one that I, I feel keen about because of the significant, I mean, for so long we've heard that survival of the fittest is the way and religions have pretty much bought into that, but today we're going to go in a, a different way. So I just want to emphasize that an essential difference between multi-earth and one-earth living regards this role of cooperation. In the multi-earth way, competition is more highly regarded. The argument is that competition drives the economy, it fosters innovation, and it brings some of the best efforts from people. But the multi-earth way is also driving us beyond the capacities of our planet. Overemphasizing competition has moved us into a multitude of crises and disasters from which we will not survive if we don't change. So contrast the multi-earth way with the one earth way in which cooperation is more important. Whereas competition was once thought to be at the heart of nature, driving evolution, the life sciences now teach that cooperation exceeds competition in importance to evolve life in a most amazing web of interdependence and connectedness in all ways. We're only beginning to understand just how extraordinary and far-reaching interconnectedness is in nature. Clearly, an emphasis on cooperation is now essential to saving life on our planet. Religions around the world are joining in this recognition that interconnectedness is deep among spiritual paths. Now, not to gloss over the fighting and the violence between religious groups, which continues, it's deadly. But to focus only there, we will miss the cooperation that's rapidly increasing in the past few decades and bringing great results. This episode of the One Earth Simpler Living podcast tells how religions are working together to forge new possibilities in ecology and economics and with women's empowerment. All are making real differences in their communities. Listen to for the importance of organizing as circles in the practice of cooperation. Our previous podcast episode presented the Circles of Jubilee, and this time we present the Circles of Cooperation United Religions Initiative. Uh, that should be plural, initiatives, United Religions Initiatives, as we talk with Lauren Van Ham in her work with United Religions Initiatives to form and empower cooperation circles around the world. Let me tell you a bit about Lauren, our guest. She is deeply dedicated to living sustainably on Earth, our only home. 
She was born and raised beneath the big sky of the Midwest and holds degrees from Carnegie Mellon University, Naropa University, and the Chaplaincy Institute. After completing an MFA in music theater, Lauren pursued her childhood dream of living in New York City and working off Broadway. She moved to the Bay Area in 1998 for graduate studies in psychology, creation spirituality, and interfaith worldviews. Following her ordination in 1999 and until 2007, Lauren worked as an interfaith hospital chaplain serving St. Mary's Medical Center in San Francisco, where she specialized in adolescent psychiatry, palliative care, and bereavement support. In 2007, recognizing that caring for the earth had become her deep love, Lauren declared herself an echo chaplain. With necessary naivete and determination, she entered corporate America and went to work at Saatchi and Saatchi S, a sustainability consultancy in San Francisco. There she became the director of consulting services. She was a member of the founding team that designed and facilitated over 200 day-long day sustainability workshops for the 2.1 million associates of Walmart Stores Incorporated. She has worked with a range of Fortune 1000 clients, combining her passion and skills to custom design curriculum and facilitate trainings to increase awareness, encourage behavioral change, and build new bridges between the inner, outer ecology of individuals and organizations, one person at a time. After a few years in this corporate setting, Lauren became Dean at the Chaplaincy Institute for Interfaith Ministries in Berkeley, California. Leaving her position as Dean after nine years, her passion for spirituality, art, and earth teachings construct her focus in echo ministry, grief and loss, and sacred activism. She is a guest writer for Progressing Spirit, an online publication exploring theology, spirituality, and public events. Currently, Lauren is Climate Action Coordinator with United Religions Initiatives. She is also an interfaith spiritual director and serves as guest faculty for several schools in the Bay Area. Let's go now to the pre-recorded conversation with Lee and Lauren. Well, it's a pleasure, Lauren, to welcome you to the simpler one, uh, the one Earth Simpler Living, the Simpler One Earth Living podcast, um, where just last month we talked about Jubilee Circles. And then during your recent visit, so by now some of you have probably been wondering, is Lauren relationship to Lee? Yes, indeed. She's my daughter. I'm her pops. And um, she was down here for a couple of weeks, actually, doing work remotely a lot of the time. But we had quite a chance to talk about a whole variety of things, including her work with United Religions Initiative. And much of their work happens through circles. They're called cooperation circles. So we're continuing then in this podcast to, to talk about circles and um, in particular this time about the co cooperation that can happen in circles. In fact, I would say it has to happen for a circle to be able to continue. So tell us, Lauren, just to lead off, um, how, does, how do cooperation circles form? 
first of all, greetings to uh, the One Earth community listening to this podcast. It's a pleasure to be with you all. Thanks for the invitation. Cooperation circles at the United Religions Initiative are self-organized groups. They need to have at least seven members, but there are cooperation circles around the world who have you know, maybe 200 members. Um, to be a cooperation circle, there need to be at least three different religions, spiritual expressions, or indigenous traditions, so that the group is inherently uh, diverse in its makeup. And that can include atheists and agnostics. Okay, so um, already, we see here a, a great bridging of uh, separateness that is a separateness that is chronic in many societies around the world. And um, <clears throat> sometimes when it's carried into religion, as it inevitably is and has been for centuries, um, it, it can get especially nasty. Uh, and violent. But here we have cooperation circles. And so this is so important, friends, to, to just recognize that <clears throat> there, uh, are, there is in the religious world, despite what the media covers, there is an enormous effort at cooperation to get some things done. So these circles exist. I, I know from talking to people, and I don't know how many you have hundreds of circles around the world that um, have formed. Um, how? How? Let, well, just let's just go on a trip. Let's get it. Let's get an idea of seeing how these, what these circles are doing. And um, I know you know about many of them, and some of them you don't know. But just start. Tell, where are we going first? Great. So there are more than one thousand cooperation circles in over one hundred countries. And just as you have said, there are sort of two reasons to be a cooperation circle. First and foremost, it gives people who identify differently an opportunity to work together. But then it is also true that that cooperation circle is doing its best to tackle a community issue that the cooperation circle members really care about. And that could look like, um, facilitating peace building because the area has been ravaged by civil unrest for some time. It could look like gender equity and women's empowerment. It could look like earth restoration. And as Jubilee Economics knows, these issues are never in their own bucket, right? We, <laughs> our left brain tries to put them in silos, but it doesn't actually work that way. These things are all um, interlapping, interconnected, interdependent. So let's start with um, Rwanda. There is a cooperation circle in Rwanda that exists in a part of the country where there is a national park, National Volcanoes Park. And this particular circle has been working over the last year to build a biodigester. If you don't know what a biodigester is, it's a very um, DIY 
sort of machine. As we in do all, it yourself. We could, we could all create one. Yes. A do it yourself um, thing that we could all create in our backyards with um, materials that are pretty readily available. And we begin the biodigester with manure. And through the fermentation process, a biogas uh, develops in the container. We create more biogas by feeding our um, plant materials, our food waste to the biodigester. And the product is a biogas that we can use to cook with. And there is also a liquid form of fertilizer that we can use to feed our soil. So there are a number of reasons why cooking with biogas is becoming very attractive in many parts of the world, including North America, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, so Rwanda has created a biodigester that lives at this national park. It is a prototype so that people who come to the park will see how this very basic technology works. And people who live on the perimeter of the park are able to take a backpack unbelievably, get biogas in their backpack, take that home and cook with it. Mm -hmm. So um, this means that fewer women and girls are walking miles and miles looking for firewood to cook with. It means that that firewood actually stays a tree and stays in the ground, preventing erosion. And um, it means that people aren't cooking on an open flame so their lungs and their eyes are much healthier. Mm. Yes, that happens in so many places. I remember seeing this certainly in uh, the back countries of Mexico where the cooking was done in these open fires, which of course, um, over a lifetime of doing that, it's horrible for lungs and eyes, huh? Lots of right. illnesses result. Great. So that's in Rwanda. Let's go to India now. India. That's quite um, a leap. Okay. Now we're in Calcutta or Calcutta, as some of us say in this country. Mm. And in Calcutta, there are a number of economic concerns. And there's also a good deal of... Um, agricultural worry, I will say, because of the way that the city has expanded. So a cooperation circle there has been planting mango trees. Now they're very specifically planting mango trees because they want the food security that the mangoes provide and the income. So this is, again, ecologically speaking, a wonderful uh, interdependent example of trees going in the ground, um, feeding the soil, preventing erosion, creating windbreaks, all of the things that trees do for us ecologically. The mangoes are bringing food security to some of these more rural areas. They also discovered that they had planted so many trees that they had a surplus of mangoes. And there were mangoes falling to the ground, some of which fed the birds, but the women and girls 
salvaged these mangoes and started pickling them and making jams with them. And then they had a cottage industry for continuing to sell mangoes in the off season. Aha, uh -huh. so they take these to markets or? That's right. <clears throat> and in Calcutta. In Calcutta. Uh, so they have a, 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 a huge, a huge market uh, in terms of population. So this is what the cooperation circle in India does. And, and, and what, are the, what are the religious traditions uh, in that circle? Do you happen to know that? So very often um, in India, we're talking about usually an indigenous Indian group, um, and then the Muslims and the Hindus or Christians. Um, so I would say that in most of the cooperation circles in India, there are four or more traditions represented. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Such a religious, religiously rich country, India. Yes, and when you think that of all the, the, the Hindu-Muslim conflict that has happened in India, to know that this kind of... Um, cooperation is going on is, is just revolutionary, wonderful, radical. You, you, you're kind of inspiring me to tell another cooperation circle story in India um, okay. for exactly the reason that you just said. Um, so sanitation has historically been a grave danger in that country. Um, there have, they do not have plumbing in the way that other countries do. That infrastructure doesn't exist. And so rivers were being contaminated, fields were being contaminated. Um, there were just all sorts of uh, sanitary concerns and malaria was um, also quite concerning. And so the WASH Alliance was born. Um, the WASH Alliance is part of Global Interfaith WASH Alliance. And then the WASH Alliance comes under this Jiwa name. It is Sikhs, Hindus, Buddhists, uh, Christians. Uh, there, may, there may be a few rabbis in there who have all come together and said, we are going to build composting toilets. We are going to create um, safe outhouses. And many of them will um, also be a place for solar panels to be installed to provide more electrical infrastructure for various rural areas. And um, they have been so successful mm. that WASH Alliance is kind of a household term now. And people know when WASH is coming to their community to install these new sanitation um, spaces. And um, it is absolutely understood that this is interfaith and there is, um, the peace building benefit, there is the health benefit, there is new infrastructure, all of that. A very successful cooperation circle and a large one. A large one. So the cooperation circle started the WASH Alliance? Okay, so I wasn't sure at first whether the WASH Alliance was another organization that existed in cooperation circles collaborator, but you're saying the cooperation circle started this a lot, um, this <clears throat> WASH What's it called? Wash Alliance. Alliance. Uh -huh. Yes, yes, and that now it has gone to multiple communities, uh, and and so this circle isn't seven members; it's more like seventy or something. At least. At least. 
so that that's like a uh, multiple circles <clears throat> yes. they were actually to meet. Yes. Do they actually meet? Well, I have seen photos of how they have um, great celebrations and festivals to complete construction projects. Mm -hmm. And so just seeing these religious leaders all gathered to um, either do a groundbreaking ceremony or the celebration at its conclusion is modeling peace and interfaith cooperation for mm -hmm. anyone in the village who has not seen that before. You know, it's, it's very heartening. Wow. I, uh, it is. It's terrific to hear about it. So now let's see, we've been to Rwanda and we've been to two different places in India. Um, where shall we go next? Well, it seems like we should spend a little time in Latin America and the Caribbean region. Um, one thing I'll, I'll say before we hop there is that there's a cooperation circle in the United States uh, in Pennsylvania called Solar Cities. Mm -hmm. It just so happens that Solar Cities helps people create biodigesters. <laughs> so this is an example of where cooperation circles cooperate with other circles mm -hmm. to help them learn. And this is one of the best parts of the United Religions Initiative, I think, is that we start to hear about something happening in one part of the world, and they are ready to teach their best practices. They are ready to give their hints and pointers. Hey, you know what? We made this mistake. You don't have to do it because we're telling you, don't do that. Do this instead. And um, there are literally, because of technology now, people are learning on their laptops, using Zoom, using WhatsApp, and creating um, everything from biodigesters to um different curriculum in the schools. There, there are different ways that these cooperation circles are teaching each other um, mm -hmm. from one region to the next. And mm -hmm. so in that way, the cooperation circles cooperate. Yes. And, and <laughs> do you know where in Pennsylvania? Oh, I would have to find out for you. Um, oh, okay. I, I, I feel like it's in Harrisburg, but I'm not, I'm not 100% not sure. certain. Okay. And, and, and just before we get to Latin America, uh, do we have time to go to Africa for a moment? Sure. Sure. Um, you may be thinking about the story that I told you from Malawi. I'm not sure. I, I, I just remember you said something about Africa, and I found it quite quite fascinating. So well, there's a there's a cooperation, there are a couple of cooperation circles in Uganda. Um, and and there's several in Malawi. All of them are doing work that I find very inspiring. Um, Cafe Kawamera is in Uganda. This is a fair trade coffee co-op that was founded by a priest, an imam, and I believe a rabbi. Um, they have been selling their coffee around the world, mostly through, I believe, the Thanksgiving Coffee Company, but all fair trade, organic, um, very successful. Mm -hmm. Another cooperation circle in Uganda is mostly women-led, and they are teaching the locals to harvest 
herbs to create medicines that have historically been used in their mm -hmm. culture mm -hmm. and making sure that these traditional ways of knowing do not get lost. So um, that happens by speaking the ancestral language, but also teaching the medicines that are readily available for people in these plants and helping them make tinctures. And, you know, that's the Prometra CC in Uganda. There are other CCs doing that as well around the world. Yes, and, and, and so um, they're doing this to, uh, because of their cult cultural heritage, but I wonder, if doing this also uh, in helps their health care in, in that they don't have to spend as much money on Western pharmaceuticals? Oh, absolutely. This is, um, this is a, a wonderful way for them to remember that there are, um, through, through wild foraging, that they are taking care of plants and earth they are also bringing greater immunity to their bodies and mm -hmm. staying away from um, big company pharmaceuticals and all of that. I remember hearing an indigenous woman talk in Chiapas and she was saying that, you know, that they had at first accepted the mm, promotional push of, of um, Western pharmacies regarding things like breastfeeding and medications. And then they came to realize in time that not only was this terribly expensive, but in fact, their health wasn't uh, improving in many cases at all. And in some cases was worse. And so the recovery of, uh, of the knowledge of their own botanical sources for medications uh, was, was enormously empowering. Uh, economically and um, culturally, um, so uh, I, I'm, I, I'm guessing that something of the same kind is happening with the women there in Uganda. Yes, I definitely agree with that, and um, <clears throat> you know, a, a little bit different but similar would be, you know, some of the efforts that are happening around the world and in cooperation circles for seed banking creating seed libraries, you know, really preserving these um, heirloom seeds and making sure that we can continue to find the plants that have been here for millennia. Uh, that's enormously important and a, a basic and meaning uh, alternative to industrial agriculture, uh, which has its uh, pernicious way of forcing farmers to buy their seeds. And um, so to have a seed bank and to um, use that to promote local agriculture, um, well, it's just, it's just a huge uh, effort. So that's going on. Do you, do you happen to know off the top of your head a, a cooperation circle that's doing that? The places I'm most aware of are in Brazil, but mm -hmm. we do have a couple of cooperation circles there. There's another one in Paraguay mm -hmm. that um, is doing a, a great amount to protect seeds. And mm -hmm. Great to hear about that. Oh. 
And and uh, going back to the the uh, imam and rabbi and whoever who it all was that started this fair trade coffee uh, cooperative, <clears throat> um, were they serving like small small growers? Was that the idea? Do you know? That's right. I think they have to be in order to be considered fair trade. Uh-huh. Um, it's small shareholders. Yeah. Um, which you know, in a, in a slightly broader context with the project drawdown solutions, these 80 plus solutions that already exist that help us sequester carbon, you know, on that list is really, really advocating for these smallholder farms mm-hmm. um, and very especially ones that are run by women mm. um, because there is data that proves how healthy and important these farms are in taking care of earth, but also in feeding people. Wow, that's such a huge topic. And I'm so glad that um, this is going on because um, it, it is just plain grievous to me that so much of the world's production is coming to large industrial agriculture um, facilities. So anything that can happen to grow small, to advance small growers is just hugely important for our planet, for our health, and, and, and for, the, for the marketplace. Uh, contrary to what many people think, the, the small growers actually have full capacity if they were brought to scale, if they were multiplied to feed the world, we are not dependent upon the agribusiness to do that. I, I'm sorry, I just had to get that out of my system. Well, there. and just riding on on the coattails for a minute, there is so much. Uh, there's so much information coming out now too with respect to food waste mm-hmm. and the incredible amount of food that is wasted mm-hmm. between the um, large-scale farm mm. and even getting it to the distribution center. Mm. Um, tons of food wasted. Mm. And they're aware of this in some of the cooperation circles in uh, the southern region of Africa are really working on this now um, because they're seeing that you know people are hungry and all of this food is getting lost. Mm-hmm. So they're finding ways in those cooperation circles to, um, to uh, what, step into the the food that's being wasted and find uses for it. That's right. Yeah. Exciting. Yeah. Now I, I've kept you away from, uh, you wanted to get to Latin America and I've kept you away from it. And before we get done here, uh, it would be great to hear a little bit more about that because of course we have Jubilee circles, in, uh, two of them in Mexico. Uh, so go ahead. Good. I, I will, will tell you a bit about that. Um, it would be an oversight, however, if I didn't mention EcoPeace, which is not in Latin America, but rather in the Middle East. Okay. And the cooperation circle that is EcoPeace consists of Muslims and Jews and Christians, but they are working on the banks of the Jordan River. Mm to clean it up 
and to address water conservation, mm -hmm. which you can only imagine is huge. This is an area of our planet that is experiencing, you know, desertification at incredible rates. Mm. And um, they have been so successful at EcoPeace that uh, with the Jordan River specifically, that now EcoPeace is being contracted and doing work um, with the Colorado River in the United States. Oh, um, because amazing. they really know some things about how to uh, keep water in the river and to make sure that that river is healthy. Wow. Thanks for mentioning that. Um, their Youth Ambassadors Program is inviting people who are, I think, 25 and younger to cooperate across a religious tension that is known the world mm -hmm. around. So um, thank you, EcoPeace. Really, mm -hmm. really inspiring stuff. We'll return momentarily to our conversation. With November comes the start of the holidays of the fourth quarter of the year. Nearly every holiday needs to be reinterpreted in light of the climate breakdown underway. We have resources to help reinterpret the holidays. First, there's Lee's book, The Liberating Birth of Jesus, a birth story able to reverse the earth's perils. It clearly shows how the birth stories of the gospels can make a big difference in reversing what's happening on our planet today and to all of life. You can hear Lee interviewed about his book in an earlier podcast by using the link in this episode's show notes. Read reviews at theoneearthproject.com slash books. Order a copy directly from Jubilee or from various suppliers on the internet. The first five orders Jubilee receives from listeners will be free. Just ask. Also, Simple Living Works offers hundreds of free resources for individuals, families, and congregations to have a more generous, much less consumer-oriented Christmas. Just visit simplelivingworks.org and click on free resources in window number one. Now let's return to our conversation. So in Latin America and Caribbean, I, I definitely want to talk about a cooperation circle in Venezuela. Uh, they are Kinaroas, the Kinaroas um, Cooperation Circle. They make soap. They have a biotourism garden where they encourage uh, young people and uh, grandparents too to come and learn which herbs to harvest. Um, they create essential oils and create soap together. They are learning how to protect the land. I guess some of the land is um, ancestral land. And so they are really um, endeavoring to preserve it as such, making sure that the native plants remain in those ancestral spaces, uh, conserving water. And because it's biotourism, um, it serves as a, as a place to educate those who come mm -hmm. and visit. Mm -hmm. um, great, great stuff there. Um, there is a CC in Mexico. CC Cooperation Circle. Cooperation Circle. Uh, confronten, I, my, my Spanish isn't going to do this very well. Confraternidad. Confraternidad. <laughs> um, Interspiritual. So this cooperation circle is um, specifically helping young people learn human rights. It's a human rights curriculum that they take into the schools, um, organizing workshops, 
Very similarly, a cooperation circle in Guatemala is also doing a lot of education for their young people, um, very much around making sure that the girls feel um, like they have agency in how they, they stand up for themselves, um, developing their voice. And then as adults or as young people become adults in the community, this cooperation circle also provides family planning and helps couples understand their economic capacity so that they can plan well for um, how many children to have, when to have children, that sort of thing. Do you, do you know where in Mexico and where in Guatemala these two circles are? I don't right now, but I would absolutely be able to provide that information for Jubilee circles who are interested. Good, good. I'm flipping through a collection of pages here because I haven't talked to a few of these CCs directly, and I just want to make sure that I'm getting my facts correct. There is a wonderful CC in Argentina that began with a few indigenous voices, but there are also um, some Christians and Jewish members in this CC, and they are helping Buenos Aires, giant city, mm -hmm. appreciate how many indigenous live in their city. Mm -hmm. And uh, just really um, bringing kind of a, a cultural survey to the community, celebrating the indigenous wisdom and, and the indigenous voices there. Um, that's Argentina. Okay. And then there's also, um, there was one more here that I, I thought, oh, this is really, this is really great. There are many, there are many cooperation circles throughout Latin America and the Caribbean. Many of them are planting trees. The Guatemala CC that I mentioned earlier um, has planted over 2,000 trees. Wonderful. Um, <clears throat> Definitely want to know where that one is and, and, and who their contact person might be. Okay. Okay. And um, yes, and then this CC that I mentioned in Paraguay. Mm -hmm. So they are specifically about agrarian education, seed banking, um, bringing agriculture into the schools mm -hmm. and, you know, maybe kind of like the edible gardens program that we're familiar with in the United States and um, very committed to teaching both sexes uh, mm -hmm. about how to, how to farm successfully. Um, maybe, maybe that's, that's maybe great. That's enough. And, and we're, we're, we're essentially getting to the end of our time, Lauren, taking a step back now from all of these Terrific stories. Thank you for sharing them um, so lucidly and, and, and inspiringly. Uh, I, I just want to ask you, United Religions Initiative, it's 20 years old. Yep, 21 this year. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and do I understand that it started as kind of an echo of the United Nations, uh, as it did it start from the United Nations? Um, Bishop William Swing was the um, bishop. He was housed at Grace Cathedral in San Francisco, California. He was experiencing some really inspiring interfaith work just in the city where he lived and was interested in seeing more of that happening around the world. And 
in his initial efforts to invite um, religious leaders of stature, high-ranking individuals to come to the table and communicate with others, um, he was declined many times. Mm. Um, they were too busy with their own religious tradition. They felt threatened around interfaith cooperation. This is two decades ago. Two decades. It shows the competition that has just ravaged our, our, our efforts. Wow. So, so, so Bill Swing said, um, okay, if it's not going to happen at the top, let's go find it at the grassroots level. And the stories um, are, we would be here until dinner time if we, mm. were, if we were talking about the, the initial efforts to bring interfaith conversation into the fore. But it did happen. And it, and it very much was like a United Nations for religions. Um, but there are incredible stories of how um, actually in the streets of Uganda, peace came to the streets because there were religious leaders who were willing to say, um, I will sleep in the square tonight if you sleep in the square tonight. And these imams and Christian priests slept together in the streets so that there would be a ceasefire. Mm. Those are the sorts of things that I think are happening even now, but mm -hmm. 20 years ago, that was the level of cooperation that was needed to start to bring some peace and yeah. tranquility to, to spaces that were so unsafe. Definitely still needed. So, uh, but it seems to me that you do at times cooperate with somehow that you're connected a little bit with United Nations efforts. Is that true? Yes, the United Nations is very aware of what URI does. And we um, have sometimes um, even grant projects. I'm working on a project with UNEP, so United Nations Environment Program. Um, and URI are working together um, in a few countries this year. We have a member of our staff who reports in both spaces. So the, the UN and their understanding of how powerful organized faith groups are um, works very well with URI and mm -hmm. um, other you know, like-minded interfaith organizations. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, we're really out of time. I, I want to... I know that you also work with drawdown initiatives, and uh, that's something I think that comes out of Paul Hawkins' work, along with a whole team of people that he worked with. And um, and uh, so his the book out of that is simply called Drawdown. But it would be another wonderful conversation, which we'll just have to save for another time. So uh, thank you, Lauren. This uh, has been extraordinary. And, terms of showing how uh, the results of cooperation and moving beyond uh, competition in its destructive ways and, and uh, how beautiful that um, many spots, many, many spots in religious conflict have, are transcending it and through these initiatives. And uh, yes, we are happy certainly in One Earth Jubilee, the Simpler One Earth Living podcast to applaud you uh, in what you're doing. Thank you so much. May we all trust and move forward in peace. You've been listening to Lee's conversation with Lauren Van Ham.
Have you listened to other recent episodes? In July, Matt Brennan, an advocate for your congregation and nonprofit on how to install solar power. Listen and learn how your congregation and nonprofit organizations can get clean solar energy. August, Brenda Weiss, Feminist Economics is Creating Just Systems that Meet Current Crises. September, Eric LeCompte, Forgive Us Our Debts, The Woes and Wins in Canceling Student Debt. And in October, Encuentro, a U.S.-Mexico conversation on living the alternative worldview we call One Earth Jubilee. Do listen. You're sure to pick up thoughts you'll value. We certainly did as we created those episodes. You can subscribe to this podcast under the name Simple Living Works at your favorite podcast service. Individual episodes are available at Jubilee's website, oneearthjubilee.com, and also simplelivingworks.org, window number three. Urge your friends to do the same. You're welcome to subscribe to Simple Living Works, various free publications. For our monthly e-news, send subscribe to simplelivingworks at yahoo.com. For our weekly email that provides brief daily simpler living nudges, send nudge to the same address, simplelivingworks at yahoo.com. Please tell us your thoughts on the subjects in this episode. Leave a message on the Jubilee One Earth Economics and Simple Living Works Facebook pages. Until next time, this is Jerry Iverson of Simple Living Works with co-host Lee Van Ham of Jubilee One Earth Economics, wishing you well as we strive together to bring simpler One Earth living into being for the common good. Simply so others can live.